Welcome back to the Sound On Sight Walking Dead podcast. This is Kate Kulzig, TV editor over at Sound On Sight, and I'm joined as ever by Ricky D, our general editor. General editor. Hello, Kate. And uh, this week we'll be talking about Indifference, which is episode four of season four, written by Matthew Negrete, directed by Trisha Brock. And joining us this week to help us talk about the episode from the TV section, our managing editor for TV, Mr. Randy Dankovich. Randy, and of course, also I should mention from Process Media, uh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. How's it going? I think it's been fun. I look forward to hearing what you what you have to say about The Walking Dead this season because it's been somewhat contentious and somewhat like 100% everybody on the same page. So it's been an interesting season of review, reaction, recap, all of that good stuff here on the podcast. Before we get into the specifics of this episode, though, as we always say at the top, there will be no spoilers. I have not read any of the comics. Ricky has read a substantial chunk of the graphic novels, but either way, we will not be talking about future episodes, uh, content of for future episodes of the TV show, content from the future of the graphic novels, anything that hasn't been in the TV show w- should not come up. Anything that's been officially released as a press statement may come up, but that probably won't either. Randy, have you read any of the graphic novels? Yeah, I've read the first. Um, I made it to about 80 issues before I gave up. Okay. You made it? Wow, 80 is more than I. And can we just call it a comic book? I, I'm good with that. I, I don't feel the need. Yeah. To, you know, I feel like they they may be different. I don't know enough about comics. They may be different, like, types of storytelling. Well, comic books are just monthly. But but Walking Dead is released monthly. It's mm-hmm. it's a comic book. They do reprint it in hardcover and, you know, softcover. Yeah, those are trade paperbacks. Trade paperbacks, yeah. Those, those are called. Yeah, graphic novels is just a one-off story. That's all that is. Yeah, like. That's um, what that name means. Totally. The Walking Dead's a comic book. Good to know. And mm-hmm. I will now use the correct terminology moving forward. I've been, I've learned my new fact of the day. Thank you very much. Before we get into indifference, any other, th- any other business we should get out of the way? Yeah, just a little reminder because on a weekly basis, I receive an email or a message on Twitter or Facebook or what have you from listeners complaining that the show hasn't appeared on iTunes. And it's because you guys are going to iTunes the very second I pu- publish the post. And thank you for wanting to listen. By the totally. Way. <laughs> it takes iTunes a little while to recognize that we've put up a new podcast. So sometimes it takes like a few hours. So you just have to be patient and or go to our website to um, to uh, listen to the show. Okay. And of course, if anybody would like to send us a review or rating on iTunes while we're discussing it, we, we would very much appreciate any feedback you guys have. We prefer positive, but sometimes a, a negative is fun too. So let us know what you think of, of the podcast. Uh, Sound us at Walking Dead podcast over in our iTunes feed. But let's get into this episode, Indifference. Randy, how have you been? Uh, how, how how have you been with this season of The Walking Dead so far? And what did you think of Indifference? Well, Indifference is a pretty accurate word for my feelings on the season. I mean, The Walking Dead at this point is just kind of The Walking Dead. I mean, <laughs> people are going to do stuff. Zombies are going to walk around. People are going to talk about who they used to be, and then we're going to see how they've changed. I mean, that's. They kind of have fallen into a cycle with this show. You know, the storylines are starting to repeat themselves. And, you know, there's some new faces, but, you know, new faces come and go. That's just the, the nature of things in this in this universe. Like they said in Indifference, um, who said it? Uh, I don't remember who said it, but they say you basically, you know, you're you're alive until you're not. And that's kind of how it is on the show. You're alive and they kind of give you little bits of character here and there and then you die don't you think that the zombies are living life more so than humans at this point i mean the zombies have nothing to worry about they're just like kind of like growl like (laughs) Like, they're just like i'm chilling i'm chilling i'm looking for food and the humans they don't know how to live anymore they are not fun it helps that most of them are, you know, currently trying not to die of a flu. So, you know, they can't really compete for, uh, you know, human, most interesting human of the year while they're, you know, just in a in a in quarantine or, you know, coughing their guts out. Speaking of which. But this I, episode takes place completely away from that. I mean, that is not, you know, that's not even in this episode and it's still a problem. Well, well Michonne did smile and crack a joke. But, you know, I'm thinking that if I were if, – if I was one of the survivors in, in the Walking Dead series, let's say I was like Daryl or Michonne or Tyrese or Bob, I would be like, do we really, really want to go back to the prison? Like there's a virus 
that's killing everybody. Like, we're in the suburbs. It looks pretty cool here, right? <laughs> like, I don't know. I just keep thinking. I'm like, why do you want to go back to a prison? It's a prison. And it's a prison full of disease en plus. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Um, yeah. You know, two weeks ago, I was really negative, And... <laughs> People weren't happy about it. I actually love this episode. I think it's the uh, best episode we've had since Clear, actually. Um, but I can't help but poke fun at the show because I'm also watching American Horror Story. And I, I sometimes think that we should be doing an American Horror Story podcast because it's just so much more fun to talk about sometimes. Like, in the last episode of American Horror Story, they, they introduced zombies for the first time. And they were having a lot more fun with the zombies in the actual Walking Dead series. Um, but overall, jokes aside, I really do like this episode. I, I think it's safe to say that out of the two stories, being the Daryl and his group searching for supplies and the Rick and Carol searching for supplies, the Rick and Carol is by far the highlight. Um, I love the interaction between Andrew Lincoln and Melissa McBride. I think they both did a fabulous job. I think once again, Melissa McBride just completely shines. She's like, I said, I say this week after week. I think she's like the MVP of the show. Uh, her performance is fantastic each and every single week. I love her character. I love how she's grown and changed so much over the years. Um, I'm kind of sad to see her go. I'm wondering if it's going to somehow play out in the spinoff show that they are creating. I still think the spinoff show is going to fall around the character Morgan personally. But who knows? They can maybe include both characters in a spinoff show. I don't know. But I really do not think we're going to see Carol ever again. But it's the first time that I can remember in the history of The Walking Dead where we get the departure of a character, but a character who doesn't die. Uh, apart from maybe Morgan. Morgan's the only character who actually walked away from Rick Grimes, not once, but twice. And he's probably smart for doing so. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's the first time I think that a, char a character is actually asked to leave. I mean, not technically asked. She's kind of forced to. Um, but I loved, um, I loved every single scene featuring uh, Rick Grimes and Carol, minus the post-apocalyptic hipsters. Um, didn't really need the hipsters, but I thought their scenes were so strong that even with the hipsters, it didn't ruin those moments for me. So I kind of really dig this episode, guys. That's interesting, because my immediate reaction was... Okay, so how are they going to get Carol uh, somehow crossing paths with the governor? Or you know, like I, I immediately assumed that this is not the end end for Carol on this show. That they, that we were going to, you know, she was going to come back, or they were going to run into her, or something. So that's interesting that we had such completely opposite reactions to her to her arc this week and also the show's intentions with her but i would absolutely agree that with the comments your comments ricky about her performance melissa mcbride's performance that is i think she's excellent this week and i think uh you know this approach was something i was not sold uh at the end of last season i wasn't convinced that even though clear was such a great episode and and we had seen we'd been hearing comments about uh, from Gim from Scott M. Gimple that he wanted to center in on the characters and, you know, you guys, you and uh, I believe it was Simon uh, in our last episode of, of of last season, we're talking about how you had high hopes for next season because of, of Scott M. Gimple's previous approach in his episodes. And I'm just saying now I was wrong because clearly you guys were right in your prediction and we've been getting so much more focus on individual characters, on pairing, you know, instead of having these big group scenes where everybody ends up n not talking or uh, or just saying a lot, but nothing really changes, nothing really happens. We've been getting a lot of really close character examination, at least I think we have this season. And I think this episode and our entire time with Rick and Carol is a perfect example of that. I, I really like the way that Rick makes his decision and the way that the episode shows his thought process in this episode. Yeah, well, because the writing is so it's so well written that the whole episode is leading to him actually stating out loud his decision, but clearly his actions and everything he said prior in the last like 40 or so minutes backs up his very decision at the end. And the thing is, I totally agree. Uh, well, I mean, I'm the one that predicted it, but I mean, what you said, Kate, about how the showrunner is pairing up these characters and therefore by doing so, we can focus more on each and every single player and he did it also in the pilot. I mean, in the pilot, it was like three different groups of characters doing three different separate things, although they were still in the prison. 
And I do like the fact that they at least leave the prison in this episode. We, we spent about maybe five minutes in the prison, I believe, and the rest of the episode is spent outside of the prison. But it's still two different groups doing two different things. And we do get a focus of these characters. Now, I'm not saying it's still yet amazing. I mean, in terms of like Bob, I mean, Bob's basically the alcoholic. That's his one character, Pete. You know what I mean? Hmm. Are they going to be able to develop the character of Bob fully? And in a more interesting way before he's killed off, I don't know, because the, the, the show hasn't yet proven that they can do this. They've only proven it, seriously, with one character, and that's Carol. She's the only character that's come a really long way since the show started, and she's been there since season one. Every single other character, they've come close, like with, um, 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 oh my God, what's her name again? Who, who are you talking about? You know, she died off at the end of season three. Lori? Lori. Is it? No, not Lori. Andrea? No, Andrea. Andrea. Sorry. Thank you, Andrea. No, because I was going to say Laura, but that's the name of the actress. Laura Holden, but it's Andrea. Yes. Sometimes I get confused with my actress, my, the names of the actress and the actual names of the character. I think they came very close with Andrea, but I, I don't think they did her justice at the end. Although I do like the way she died. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, the first three podcast, no, the first two podcasts of this season, I had concerns. And my concerns were I felt that they were... That I felt that the showrunners and the writers were going to repeat the same mistakes as they did in the past, right? And I do agree with Randy, and I said this last week, and I, or two weeks ago, and I believe our guest host, Zach Handlin, also said the exact same thing. They're recycling beats and story ideas and things that we've seen in the previous three seasons. They're still repeating themselves. So well, it's because they don't, they don't have complex characters. The characters that we're getting, even the notes that we're getting in this season, there's one, every character has one trait. And I mean, you could say Carol has a bit beyond that, but even in this episode, they reduce her to battered woman becomes tough woman. I mean, that's really all they've given her in four seasons of the show. And, you know, did you even remember that she had a kid before this episode? I mean, it's such, it feels like such a long time ago and it's something that she never brings up and has never been you know an emotional issue for her for so long it feels almost manipulative for it to come back and be something now it, you know from the first scene of this episode you can tell something is going to happen to carol whether it's her death or not because you know they bring back this you know emotional connection to her child that from all signs she hasn't thought about in ages and actually i felt i felt sophia in almost everything that she's been doing all, all season and even last season i i for me sophia is a constant presence and un, an underlying presence with carol and in her decision making process so i would actually strongly disagree with you on that note and I, i'm actually going to uh, agree and disagree because i agree with uh, kate that i would say the second half of season three i i really do think they did an amazing job in building her character and i do feel that there was always an afterthought or, or Sophia's presence was always lingering in the background. But I do agree that with this season, I, I know Kate, you're going to disagree with this aspect of my, <laughs> my uh, opinion, but I still do not like the introduction of those two little girls and how, like, cause like in this episode, there is this one scene, uh, um, which involves the two hipsters, which I, you know, I wasn't crazy about the two hipsters, but in the scene, they ask her straight up, I'm like, did you have a child that died? And she says, no. And she plays it off like she, her child, her daughter is still alive. And Rick gives her like this glaring look, like what the fuck type thing, right? But that to me is good writing because that response that she gives and Rick's reaction with very little dialogue, it's very quick and to the point, tells us the audience how she's dealing with the death of Sophia. As opposed to introducing these two girls and using that as a way to build her character. Uh, and maybe it's like, I mean, you're fond of those two girls. I'm not. I still think she's a horrible actress. And I do love the cold opening of this episode. I thought the opening was fantastic. I love the way it juxtaposes between Rick's imagination of how she went about killing Karen and David um, to her talk with Lizzie. Is it Lizzie? The yes. girl. Mm. I always yeah. get confused if it's Lizzie because there's two girls, but I think it's Lizzie. So we get the talk between her and Lizzie, and it cuts back and forth between Rick thinking about what she did. I love that opening. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I understand where Randy's coming from. I, I really do because I, I do share uh, some of his feelings. Like, uh, I do think that they're recycling beats. I don't think they've developed most of these characters. I think it's frustrating. I think that this is the greatest show ever made with 
terrible writing. <laughs> like sometimes the writing is just not good, specifically with the dialogue. Um, but it's got great set pieces. The action's fantastic. The special effects are amazing. The cinematography is brilliant and beautiful. The editing most most times is great, especially in an episode like tonight. The score is fantastic. Like there's so many good things about this show that I don't think it's a bad thing for me to kind of like nitpick and or have a gripe with some of the writing. Well, but you just, well, two things. First of all, I think she says that her, she doesn't have any kids who died from the the disease. Um, so she doesn't say she never had a kid who died. She said, Oh, did do you, did anybody die? Did you lose your kids or anything? of the sickness. But I think it's a fair point and definitely that reaction when she says that she that one of her girls is sick, you know, for that reaction to that from Rick, I think is you're right to to call attention to that Ricky. But I I, I want to kind of pin you down on this because earlier you said that this episode was really well written and then you just said that it was poorly written. So, which one is it? No, no, I didn't say this episode was poorly written. What you just said was that it was that the show is poorly written. No, so at times, times the show okay. is poorly written. The dialogue we've we've discussed this in the past, where yes. there's some episodes. The I would say a good chunk of the episodes, specifically in like season two, where the dialogue is just horrible. Yes, but but where we're at now with this this season so far, do you how do you feel that this season has been written? I think this season's really well written, especially in the way they're developing the characters, the main characters. I'm still frustrated by the introduction of these extras who still are not getting enough screen time and or justice um and it worries me because like i, I just like i'm wondering what it were like it, it's a concern i have for the future of the show like what's going to happen in, in the next few weeks is everybody going to die uh are we ever going to get to know these characters are we just going to continue to fall around the central five and like you know i don't know like the show I think the show needs to take more risks and it needs to it, it needs to expand the world. And when I say expand the world, I don't mean just introducing different ways to kill zombies or moving from one location to the next location, staying in that one location for a whole entire season. They need to expand the world and it's not really doing a great job in, of expanding the world. There's I, I just think to my head like there's so many things they could do. Like the possibilities are endless. And, like, we spent, like, you know, a lot, I love season two, but a lot of people are like, well, we spent the whole entire season in a farm. And, like, what exactly happened? I mean, I, I liked it. I liked post-Sophia outcome, but a lot of people complained about that. And, like, afterwards, we're at Woodbury and the prison. A lot of people hated Woodbury because of the governor. You know what I mean? Like, uh, th that's why I like it when they go out on the road, because it, it opens the doors to new possibilities, new characters, new adventures, as opposed to always being stuck in the same place with four or five characters and a thousand extras, which we never get to know. Interesting. Okay, Randy, I want to pin you down. How do you feel like this season's been written, this episode is written, uh, in compared to the past run of the show? Well, I think um, structurally it's been a it's been a step forward. Like there's, you know, episodes have, you know, connective tissue, you know, the narratives between each character that, you know, previous seasons really wasn't there. But I think a lot of it is telegraphed. I think a lot of it is obvious, and some of it is really, really clumsy. Like, the stuff they've done with these little girls has been very clumsy. Um, I do, you know, I don't want to say that they're doing everything wrong. I think there's examples where The Walking Dead does a lot more than what it usually does when characters are talking or shooting or running around or something, when nothing's going on. Like when I think Mick has been the best character this season. She's been quietly, you know, the best part of the season is watching her be a little more relaxed and suddenly start to embrace this idea of, you know, having other people around her and reaching out for other people. Like this week she's making jokes with Daryl and talking to him about, you know, real, real shit. And, it's that's the kind of growth that we're not seeing elsewhere. Like her scene with um, the child whose name I can never remember, uh, Rick's daughter. Little ass kicker, Judy. Yeah, Judith? little ass kicker. That moment where she's with her is my favorite moment that they've done this season because it explains so much about a character and so much about the journey that she's gone through without saying a word. And I feel like 
you know, yeah. while I repeat something they're doing with Carol, they're doing it better than they're doing with Carol. Even in this episode, they did it better with McCone. Well, it's because Michonne. Her, um, Michonne, whatever. Her, uh, her character feels alive. Like, that's what I mean. Like, I understand it's a post-apocalyptic setting with a bunch of zombies running around still trying to kill you. But I think no matter what the conditions, especially given the fact that they were in, like, a prison safeguarded, for the most part, from these zombies, these are still people. And they are going to want to naturally laugh and feel alive and have fun. I mean, Michonne, uh, at one point last season, in the episode Clear, you know, we get that beautiful moment where she steals her her painting or art of like a cat, a cat, right? Her cat art. And um, and like in this this season, she smiles, she cracks jokes, you know, she contemplates why. Uh, she she contemplates if she should go chase after the governor or not. And in this episode, she clearly makes a decision that's not worth her time anymore. But she's going through a different range of emotions. Like, my problem with Rick Grimes, the main character, is I'm just so on, honest to God fed up of watching him just constantly be like, oh, man, God. Like, it's just like, how should I explain this? It's just so frustrating to watch him because he's always so dour he's so like uh conflicted it's always like this big dramatic deal for him to make even the smallest of the biggest decision like when's the last time we've seen rick grimes even smile or spend time with his daughter like his daughter means the world to him but i still have not seen him hold his daughter this whole entire season he was with her a couple episodes ago and she's in quarantine right now and they address that so that's specifically they've addressed why he's not spending more time with her in these past two episodes the problem with rick is that he does two things on the show he's either staring at something or he's contradicting himself and that's all he does in his conversation with carol tonight he stares at her a lot and then he contradicts himself he talks about how she can't make decisions for everybody, she can't make split decisions that involve people's lives with everybody. Yet he kind of takes liberties to do this on his own in the past. And by the same token, is has put himself in a position where he doesn't want to be making those decisions. And I don't ever feel like this episode really gives us because he's made this decision before they even leave. Like he makes this decision before he tells, you know, brings Carol with him. Like you saw all the stuff in that car. It was very obvious from that point that he was going to say, Hey, Carol, guess what? You're not coming back with me. I mean, this was decided long before he left. And I don't feel like they ever established him making this decision and giving us a, you know, a solid concrete reason why he would do this. Everything Rick does just kind of, serves the dramatic purpose that it needs to serve like yes he's a conflicted guy but he's so conflicted that every decision he makes kind of seems to come out at random like that one moment he wants to be mad at his son but you know he sees a pig die and so he's got to give his son his gun back because you know things are going bad when the pigs are dying it's you know carol's pointing out so many obvious things to him in this episode like no shit dude you can't sit there and just pick tomatoes off a vine when you're living in a prison surrounded by hundreds of zombies like obviously things are you know you think things are just gonna all of a sudden become peaceful i, I mean he's such a frustrating character and they're not giving him any room to grow they're just the, giving well, him more scenes to stare they're worsening him and, and and i totally agree like i i think that is probably one of the central problems with the walking dead is their main character is one of the least interesting characters and we get to spend so much time with him and sorry i'm sorry kate but you're making excuses for the show yeah okay she's been in quarantine for two episodes but what about every single other episode before that after judith was born i mean i hate to compare the show to breaking back because breaking bad's a masterpiece it's you know comparison to walking dead but it would be equivalent to watching breaking bad and never seeing walter white spend one moment with his baby and or his son no. Oh, well, he spends almost no time with his baby and his son on that show. He spent very, very little time with baby Holly or Walt Jr. The only time he spends with Walt Jr. is when they're eating breakfast or when he's guilt tripping him. <laughs> back to me because that's totally not true. Um, I'm sure if you go back and watch uh, Breaking Bad, you'll see tons and tons of scenes with Walt and Holly uh, to the point where I actually know Holly's name. Um, there's characters in The Walking Dead who I still have no idea who, who, what their names are. I mean, we talked, we joked around about Karen last episode. We still do not know who David is. Uh, we can't figure out which girl's Lizzie or not Lizzie. I mean, you know, you can, we, we, I, I love The Walking Dead, but I'm not going to sit here and make excuses for some of the things they do wrong. <laughs> so here's, here's what I'll say, give you about the, the, the sickness and the quarantine and all that. 
while we all agreed last week, and I still think so, this was a actually a really smart move for them to. This is a very real threat. It makes sense. It's something they haven't done before. They haven't done um, the threat of just sickness. How do you fight against a cold? This it's a very interesting thing to, for them to explore, and I think it's worked really well as uh, to generate tension without retreading the governor or just more walkers. Um, if they wanted to explore living versus surviving, which they started talking about and started toying with in the first couple episodes of the season, immediately throwing more than half of your characters into quarantine and therefore taking them out of the narrative is a foolish way to do that. That's They started this discussion most uh, straightforwardly with Maggie and Glenn, and now they are in quarantine and sick and can't talk. And so while we should still have a wedding coming in the future, assuming they don't die, um, when you are going to just bring up the, these discussions of what is living and uh, versus surviving, it's not a very effective to then make it so that none of your characters really have the option of living. However, I think in this episode, and and I and I I also think, and maybe this is just my the way I approach TV, this is maybe this is just like the knowledge of the back behind scenes change ups affecting it. I, I I really am sort of approaching season four as a new thing for The Walking Dead. I'm not I, I don't I feel like with the new showrunner, you kind of uh, that's kind of somewhat of a fresh start in how I, I approach a show. So I'm not going to blame Gimple for the problems of last season and, you know, and I'm not going to blame season two on Darabont and et cetera. Um, but I think in this episode, we do get a lot of, we get a lot of great stuff with Rick. And I think he is, he finally, we, ex, we see him processing a decision in a way that we didn't really before. And so that for me is a change for the better. Um I often would have agreed with you in the past that he seems to make decisions out of nowhere, but I think we see a very clear um, thought process and, you know, dis and acceptance of a role of, if not leadership, then responsibility in his decision with Carol and how he approaches it. So I think that's the strength of this episode. Um, I think the scenes are great because McBride is fantastic, but... I think they basically stretched out what could have taken up 10 minutes of screen time to a whole entire episode. Um, I mean, granted, it didn't take up the whole entire episode, but, you know, a good chunk of the episode. But, I mean, basically, Rick, like Randy said, made his decision before they left. So they go looking for supplies. You know, we have some back-and-forth banter between them, but nothing much is really said because he's avoiding the whole confrontation. He's not really mentioning what he thinks about her decision, yada, yada. They run into two hipsters. You know, so much for those hipsters, you know, they were like, it was funny to see those two hipsters introduced, but I was like, I don't know, man, those people would have died a long time ago. <laughs> like, I just think it's so funny how they run into Rick Grimes and they die like 10 seconds later, but somehow they survived for like the longest time. Like, it was just like, okay, whatever. But I, um, I, th I thought his... I thought their interactions with that pair actually did affect Rick's decision-making process. I thought that the way that she sort of threw them under the bus, threw them in the deep end, if you survive, you can come back with us, um, and threw them into harm's way, I thought that did affect his decision. You guys disagree? I think there's a lot. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't disagree with that. I just, I just think that... I. I I don't think Rick was ever going to be convinced that he should bring Carol back with him. And more so, I don't, I wasn't convinced that Rick really believed in his own decision. I mean, Carol is doing the same thing Rick says that he's doing. She, he, she says that she's looking out for the group and Rick doesn't want, he wanted nothing to do with making these decisions. And all of a sudden he decides to take this decision in his hand with, you know, that involves other characters that have nothing to do with him and all of a sudden, you know, step in front of the council that, you know, supposedly he has allowed to make the decisions around here yeah. because, you know, he couldn't do it himself. This is the place where he wants to make a decision. He wants to turn his back on somebody that has been around for so long and has been such a valuable part of their community. I mean, 
Yeah, what she did was shitty. And there is the one thing this episode really does well is painting both sides of this debate, Rick's side of the debate and Carol's side of the debate, you know, but I think they do a good job of doing that with Carol. They they show both sides of it with Carol because she fears, feels terrible about she did about what she did. She understands, you know, the consequences to her morality and to her humanity that she's, you know, taken on by committing something like this. Like she knows that if Tyrese finds out, she's dead. But you know, she had to do that. Either way, she was doing that for a reason. On the other side, I feel like. You know, because Rick doesn't really say anything. You know, he just kind of stands around, looks at things, and then we see him. You know, we do see him kind of watching her reaction to things, and then him going, "All right, well, I'm going to give these two random people that I've never seen before guns, and then you know, I'll deal with you afterwards." Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's like I said, you know, over and over last season, his character is inconsistent, and, and he's consistent in the fact that he's inconsistent, but. The thing is, you're right. I mean, he doesn't want to make decisions, but then he's making this big decision. And he's making a big decision in which he's taken away what I think, who I think is the MVP of the show. She's like one of the most valuable people in the group. She's probably more valuable than Daryl at this point. And he's making this big, huge decision where he's taking her away from the group. And she is needed and she is valuable. And it doesn't really make sense what everything that's happened to him before, like prior in the last four, five, seven episodes. And um, I do think, Kate, that I think that he made this decision before he left. He wasn't going to bring her back. And I do think that her actions and everything that she says while they're in the suburbs reinforces him that he made the right decision. I think the decision was already made that just makes him feel better that he knows he made the right decision. Because basically, Carol is saying, you know, I killed Karen and David because they were a threat to everybody else, yada, yada, yada. And so he's basically taking her sort of like stance and her action and her 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 view and he's turning it on her. He's like, well, I'm not bringing you back because you are sort of like a threat because if Tyrese finds out he's going to go ape shit you know, he's going to murder you. It's going to, like, tear everybody He's apart. condemning her for the same thing that he's doing. He's condemning her for making a decision yeah. about somebody's life without consulting the group, which he then does with her. They might have lived. Karen and David, they might have lived. And now they're dead. That wasn't your decision to make. When Tyrese finds out, he'll kill you. Damn near killed me over nothing. How can you handle Tyrese? When the others find out, they won't want you there. And if, and if they don't make it back, if everybody dies of this thing and it's just the two of us, with Judith and Carl, with my, my children, I won't have you there. The the difference that I see though is that she she put the decision in his hands by telling him what she did and then saying please don't tell anyone and he doesn't so that puts him in he has to decide what he's going to do. If he's going to tell everyone or he is not going to tell everyone. And uh and so that's why I think it's a slightly different situation because it's not just it's it's not just uh, I'm deciding this for the group. It's I'm deciding how I'm going to respond with this information in my unique you know situation in this group. So if he tells everyone, Therese is going to go crazy, probably kill her, uh, and create bigger problems at at, at the um, at, at the prison. And if he doesn't tell everyone and she's still there, if any if she does any of this again, it's on him. I agree. I, I think he's looking out for his best interest, interest of his children. I mean, he even has one line where he's like, well, you know, I do have a daughter and a son and it scares me to bring you back to the prison under these circumstances. But I'm just thinking in the back of my head, I'm like, what's the point in having a council? Because we haven't seen them do anything yet. And isn't she on the council? I want to say she's yeah. on the council. <laughs> That's the thing. It's like they have a council. One of the members of the council decides to murder two people in <laughs> her own decision. 
and the other dude doesn't even doesn't even think that he can address the council. I mean, mind you, I guess they're in quarantine at this point, but it's like the whole council just like is useless. I mean, half of them are in quarantine or dead or lost on the road. It, it wasn't well, Karen it, on the council too. So one of the council members members killed another of the council members. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, it's just a well, mess. Rick's and and Rick is such that decision that he makes. He spends all this time. You know, supposedly making this decision, even though I've argued that he makes it already, you know, the episode tries to point this argument that he's struggling with this decision and trying to process it. But in the end, he makes a decision that's a self-serving and b so short sighted. I mean, he gives her a car full of supplies and she nobody knows she what is going to stop her after he just shits all over and tells her to bounce. What is going to stop her from just going right back to the prison and saying, hey, Rick killed these people? I mean, he he doesn't think any of this out. I mean, he first of all, he gives two strangers guns and then just lets them roam off on their own. No, you know, oh, they might come back and hunt me down. Like there is one of those people is still alive. And I believe that's for an explicit reason. I mean, that character, we're going to see Sam again. He's going to come back because there was only that dead that girl is the only one we saw dead there. I mean, that's a different thing. But. You know, he compounds his idiocy by, hey, Carol, guess what? I'm going to bounce you out, but I'm not going to tell anybody what I'm doing before I leave. I'm not going to tell you, you know, what's going on. I'm not going to tell the council and I'm just going to drive back and who knows what I'm going to tell people. I'm not even going to think of that. I'm just going to get there. And if you're there, I guess I'll deal with that. I mean, he doesn't say show up and I'll kill you. I mean, he just says, oh, you need to you need to go. And then he stares at her until she leaves. I mean, he's so frustrating he's a guy who doesn't want to be a leader but then he wants to make leadership decisions and then when he does act like a leader he acts like an idiot well that that's why i don't think any of us want to see him as the leader and that's why i was kind of happy he wasn't leader but now he's kind of acting like leaders so i'm like ah, frustrating but you know let's go to the other end of the spectrum and let's look at michonne michonne you know for the past like four episodes she's been making her own decision should she chase after the governor right but we get little moments in which it's referenced and or it's mentioned or talked about but very brief moments and she's thinking about her decision to chase after the governor for four episodes and in this episode we get like one brief scene with her and daryl very few words once again and then she gets in a car at the end of the episode she's like you know what i think i'm done i'm not gonna look look for the governor again like that's her way of making decisions which is fantastic Rick well, Bly. I think it's more than that. I don't. Th- I really don't think that subplot was about her chasing after the governor at all. Well, it was I, about I, her. Well, no, because I think the whole episode, like the central theme of the episode, is everybody's trying to let go of something. And her, in her case, she's trying to let go of her quest for the governor. But the point I'm trying to make is compare her, contrast her with how Rick Grimes, the character, makes decisions in the show. His decision making sometimes takes up a whole entire episode. Well, and his. His what he does, his decisions ultimately serve a plot. What has been happening with Michonne has served her character. Her her wanting to go back after after the governor is not about her going after the governor at all, really. It's about her either embracing this idea of, you know, trusting in other people and not being so sheltered and alone. You know, she's a person that's been hurting so much and she's finally at a place in her life when she, you know, that moment where she gets to hold the child is yeah, it's a, like, it's a lot of pain for her, but that's a moment, that's a cathartic moment for her to be able to, to be able to ex- even express that kind of emotion that we haven't seen that from her. So her rejecting her chase of the governor is about her embracing others for the first time since this, you know, she's been such an independent person since, you know, this collapse of civilization that this is more about. You know, obviously the governor the governor's gonna come back regardless. So whether she goes to hunt for him is trivial. I mean, that's arbitrary. It's more about her as a character. And that's why I think that's so well done because it's such in contrast with everything else the show tries to do and the way it presents characters and narratives and how things progress. Like with this, it's really about her character. That's why I love it so much. Confession time. I didn't actually realize that's who she was searching for. I spent the past three episodes going, who's in Macon? Why, who are, <laughs> why is she? Oh. What? So when you, so when you guys started, it was like, when it were in this episode, when she's like, I'll stop looking for the guy. I was like, oh, that's who she's been. I want to forget that whole arc so much <laughs> that, that the governor is still alive that I just, it didn't even occur to me that that could be what that was about. The other thing I think we should talk about in that, 
uh, that half of the story is we talked even just last week, Defiant mentioned, um, you know, would there, would someone being an alcoholic come up as an issue? And it, it comes up this week. So well predicted Depayan, if you're listening. And, um, and I think that actually that while yes, so far we know very little about Bob, He's only really been in two episodes, so us only knowing a little about him isn't that surprising to me. But uh, I like the way that it comes back here, and I thought actually those scenes were very well played. It helps that they've got some some damn good actors uh, working together in, in the the main cu- climax there. But um, but I actually liked how that you know went out, and yes, it was very clearly foreshadowed. But he did, I think he did actually help on the run as far as telling them what meds they needed. And, um, and so I look forward to seeing exactly what his position in the group is when they get back. If nobody dies, does that change things? If a couple people die, does that change things? What do you guys think? Well, first of all, he's been in four episodes. He's just been in the background for most of, I think, second and third episode. Um, but yeah, he was, he was, he's been in all four episodes. Of yeah, he's been around. He's been around. Um, um, but the thing is, okay, like, you know, here's the thing is that he grabs a bottle of whiskey or whatever it is. Fine. You know, he has every right to grab a bottle of whiskey. Who doesn't want to drink, especially during a zombie apocalypse? Okay. The problem is, is that he was fighting for a bottle of whiskey when the zombies could have clearly have pulled him down and eaten him. And that would have been a problem. So he's putting his own life and other people's lives in danger over a bottle of whiskey. If it was like he grabbed a bottle of whiskey, there was no zombies around. He put the bottle of whiskey in the trunk of their car and they drove off. Then I wouldn't have an issue of him having a drink. Okay. But that's, I think, where Daryl stands is that, you know, after, especially, especially after he tells them that he thinks he's responsible for Zach's death. Like, he's like, well, what the hell are you doing? You just openly admitted that you think you're responsible for Zach dying, and here you are sacrificing yourself for a bottle of whiskey. That is a problem. Um, I don't know how much they can do with this subplot of him being an alcoholic because it's like what I said last week. How often is he going to have a chance to get a bottle of whiskey or a bottle of wine? Like, it, maybe they're just going to stop taking him out on a, uh, uh, on a run for supplies. Like, you know what I mean? Like how, what, what can they really do with this whole subplot? Well, there's nothing they can do because it was in, it's terribly introduced and it's horribly, it's just a bad subplot. This is a guy we're supposed to believe has survived through two groups and whatever he's had to conquer in between. When, you know, he can't shoot a gun straight, he's supposedly a slave to alcohol to the point where he'll risk his life for it. You know, he's he's made it this whole time and he's still alive, but he's got nothing really, you know, he's got nothing to contribute in the scheme of, the, you know, the grand scheme of things to this group. I mean, he, he points out a bunch of medicines and, you know, it seems to have a bunch of them in his hand, but somehow none of them make it into his backpack on the way out. I mean, the guy... <laughs> went on this whole mission to put a bottle of one bottle of alcohol in his backpack, I would have just kicked his ass off the edge of the roof and went on my way. I mean, he's a waste. I mean, unfortunately, because, you know, it's a great actor. I want to see this character be something, but he's another black character that has one character trait that they're just going to ride over and over until he dies. She never told us about the group you're with before. Which one? You know, when you found me out on that road, I almost kept walking. Why is that? Because I was done being a witness. Two times, two different groups. I was the last one standing. Like I was supposed to see it happen over and over. Like it's some kind of curse. But when it's just you out there with the quiet... Used to be I'd drink a bottle of anything just so I could shut my eyes at night. Figured the prison, the people, thought it'd be easier. The run to the big spot, I did it for me. You gotta keep busy. No. I did it so I could get me a bottle. Of anything. I picked it up. I held it in my hand. But I put it down. I put it down so hard it took the whole damn shelf with it. That's what brought on the walkers. And that's what Gazette killed. 
Well, let's face he, it. <laughs> he does have he does have plenty to offer the group because he's a medic. He's an army medic, so he is he's medically trained. That is something he can clearly offer the group. Whether he he doesn't necessarily help on this run, but back at the at the prison, there's no reason he can't be. Well, a then why why ally. is he back there being a medic? Why is he out on here? Why is the priest being the medic or the veterinarian being the medic? <laughs> the because because Daryl asked him to come on the run specifically and because herschel has decided he's going to go break quarantine and go in himself that's a personal decision can we talk about the virus for a second now here's the thing about the virus you and i both agree kate that introducing the threat of this disease is fantastic It, it, it raises the stakes you know everybody's sick it's something that everybody can relate to uh but i am going to have a huge problem a huge problem if they find the cure for the disease within the first half of the season, even within the season, even if they just find a cure for the disease, you're talking about a world in which they don't have access to a lab. Um, they have like, okay, a veterinarian working with them. They have a doctor who's almost dead, Dr. S, and they have a medic who's an alcoholic. Um, I'm sorry, but this is a disease in which your eyeballs explode and blood drips out of your eye sockets and like you die within 24 hours. If they find a cure, I don't know how I'm going to feel about that. I just think that's bullshit. Like, I think that's why they should just leave the damn prison. I think everybody should die and whoever's left alive to just move on to the next location. They should not find a cure. Well, they're going to find a cure. <laughs> That's just going to happen because uh, Herschel and Glenn and Maggie and half their cast are sick and they're not going to kill all of their cast at the same time like that. So that's the rules of television say they're going to find some form of a cure. Um, but I would be surprised if it's just a presto change where everybody's better. I, would be, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, yeah, um, but the thing is, are they going to find a cure or are they going to find someone that has a cure? Because we still do have the mysterious broadcast from last week. So that's what I'm thinking. Like, if they somehow on the road, on the way back to the prison, either Daryl or Rick or whoever, somehow figure out that there's some kind of, um, you know, safe zone somewhere and those people have a cure because they have the supplies and they've been working on this cure for like God knows how long. And then they make it over to the safety zone and Glenn is like magically healed or whatever. Okay. But it's like Dr. Herschel just all of a sudden like, you know, bakes some potatoes and throws in some tomatoes and spits in like the soup bowl. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're cured. It's like, okay, Jesus Christ. (laughs) I don't think in the grand scheme of things of the resolution of how this virus handled really, it really, I don't think it really matters that much. I think it's what they do while they have the virus in play that matters. Um, yes and yes, but like, okay, so we've had this. Things are so arbitrary in this world. Like at some point you just kind of have to accept that they're going to have dumb resolutions to their plots. Like it's going to happen. This is how all of the plots on the show end. It's going to happen in some arbitrary way. A couple people are going to die. There might be one main or recurring cast member that dies. We'll be sad about it for an episode. We'll see a little cross sticking out of the ground and we'll move on. I mean, this is just how things go on this show. This is the nature of the narrative. I mean, there's no end point to this. There's nothing they're building towards. They're going to – this is what The Walking Dead is. If 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 you don't see potential in how this is going to be res- like resolved or in, in the show changing, then what keeps you watching? Obligation, because it's so popular that this is a show that people talk about. <laughs> um, I always have hope, you know, even with bad television shows, I always have hope that they'll, you know, they'll figure things out. You have, we have there's moments in season three where things were coming together, and there are a lot of signs of season. The, the, the pieces are there. The foundation is there for good stuff, but this show is just so focused on the broad and the superficial that I don't, it's not, it doesn't have enough time to dig into things. There's too much going on. There's too many people on this show. It's, and it's never had a chance. It's had three seasons with, you know, a shortened, a shortened first season and a lengthened third season, but it's never had a chance with so many creative voices coming in and characters changing. It never had a chance to really, figure out what it was about and where it wanted to go. And now it just kind of flounders around in whatever direction it seems to fit. I mean, they introduce, a, I mean, after this season, where, 
what can they do next? They've done the big bad. They've done the internal threats. They've done the internal threats twice. Now they've done a biological threats twice because this is biological threat is what the show started with. And, you know, at the end of the first season was something they were very concerned with. I mean, I guess I'm not I'm answering a question with a question that kind of makes <laughs> me seem like I don't have an answer. But where do they go from here? That's my why I'm interested, I guess, to see if. Where well, are they going to go? What can I, I, they find out of this? What can they mine out of this that could be interesting? But but the thing is, it doesn't matter if it's a show about zombies or if it's a show about men that go bowling on you know every Saturday night. It's about building your characters, making us the viewers at home like and know these characters on a weekly basis. Oh, look, I think this is a great episode. I really do. Okay, but with that said, I still think that the show needs to do more with these characters. Like, I mean. My little small example of not seeing Rick spend any time with his kids, it's a small example, but it's still an example. Um, like, th there's still, just because it's a show that's trapped in the, uh, in the horror genre doesn't mean that they can't just do normal things and go back to basics. Like last week when Carol's, like, you know, trying to fix the water and trying to get water because they need fresh water, it doesn't always necessarily have to be an episode in which to introduce a new threat, a new character, a new villain. Um, you know, they just got to like, I mean, the thing about American Horror Story is within like er, er, American Horror Story has an advantage and a disadvantage in the sense that in every single season, it's a brand new story, brand new, like the same actors, but playing new characters, you know, takes place in a different time. And it's, it's like totally, like totally different. Right. But I find it interesting that within three episodes of season three of American Horror Story, I know pretty much every single character. I get an understanding of who they are. I get a backstory to each of these characters. And I pretty much like and or strongly dislike for good reason each and every single character. Like, And with The Walking Dead, with four seasons, they still have trouble doing that very same thing. So... You know what I mean? Like, I I think... Well, you're kind of comparing apples and oranges. I mean, one's a television show. One's an anthology. One is, you know, American Horror Story is very external. It's very much about plot and setting and being wild. And The Walking Dead, my frustrations with The Walking Dead don't come... It comes from the show trying to be both external and internal, you know, trying to be about characters while trying to have all these big, exciting, dramatic plots and kind of not being kind of being really, really average at both of them. Like, I don't want to say this is this fourth season has not been a bad season of The Walking Dead. It's just so average and so predictable that it's not there's it's. There's inherent insight, excitement in the show because of the way they can set up, you know, this season has really shown a, a talent for doing set pieces and stuff, but. Beyond that, even the, the the visceral thrill of the show is is getting pretty boring because you only see zombies get stabbed in the head from so many angles before it gets tiring. So now they have to turn to the internal, and, and they're doing it. They're turning there. They're going in the right directions. It's just they're not really going anywhere interesting with them. And then the cases that they do, it leads to head-scratching things like pushing one of your main characters off the show. That At I least agree for with. a short period of time. That I agree with. That's why I don't know still how I feel about the Caro decision making like i do think it's ballsy of them but i, I am seriously going to miss carol because she's been i've been raving about her character for like four podcasts in a row now but they are doing it with characters like uh michelle and i think to some extent uh tyrese but then with some characters like glenn and maggie it's kind of like well what happened to the glenn and maggie that we thought rocked because now glenn and maggie are just sort of like in love and that's it yeah so that's about it um i like this episode i think it's the best episode of season four so far I love I love the cold open, um, you know. Despite the fact that I like Randy, is I am frustrated with the character of Rick Grimes. I think that the character of Carol, specifically the acting and the performance by Melissa McBride, just makes it a highlight reel. All the scenes between her and Rick in this episode, um, I still think it's kind of really funny to introduce these two hipster characters. I don't know how I feel about these two hipster characters. Well, I say I feel like the inclusion of them. There's a there's a lot of this. This is one of those things. It feels really weird right now because I think those two characters are meant to serve kind of. They kind of serve a purpose in this episode, but they're meant to serve a purpose elsewhere later in the season. I feel a. I feel like the setup, the way they show that girl dying with her leg neatly amputated and her body dragged across the street. I find that to be very weird. That almost seems set up. 
as if that kind of scene was orchestrated because I've never seen a zombie drag a body, amputate a piece of a body and then drag it away and then just leave another one there. And Sam, we never see him again. He's out there with a gun now kind of on the loose. So I feel like those are threads for something else later on in the season. So it's kind of hard to, you know, judge what those two actually mean in terms of the show as a whole. Mm -hmm. I think that's more of a, uh, you know, them dropping in something that they're going to return to later to make us say, ooh, look how good their memory is. Because we're only a quarter of the way through the season. I mean, this is, this is only four episodes so far. So you think those characters are going to return and they're going to be a threat to our characters that we know? Uh, I don't know if there will be a threat. I think Sam will return in some fashion, whether he's still by himself or with other people that may have been around in that area when they were there. I mean, we don't – I can't say I don't know, but – and Kate, what's going on with the rats? Like, was it the girls feeding the rats? Because, like, the thing is, like, now half of the um, ha- half God, there's so many storylines. I totally forgot about the rat feeding. <laughs> well, yeah, Jeez. because now half of them are in quarantine, right? Of not all of them, and ha- and the rest of them are on the roads. Someone was still feeding the rats. Wouldn't the fence have fallen down by now? Um, well, yeah, I I don't think that's still happening. So it must be the girls feeding. The well, rat. I think maybe that was them introducing. That might have been like them introducing the disease. That would be because you know rats can carry disease. If you're feeding zombie meat to rats, that might cause some problems in the water flow or something. I, I think we'll wait and see on that one. If it doesn't come back up, then then it, that. It seems to me, yes, the girls did it, and the only reason they didn't tell us was so that we would think there was some larger conspiracy with the the burned bodies of of Karen and David. But considering we get an answer to that almost immediately, that doesn't seem to mesh. So I'm I'm in the wait and see what happens place with that right now. Well, it could be part of the Lizzie conspiracy as well, because remember Lizzie's little sister tells says something to Carol or somebody about her sister being weird or off or something. I don't I don't remember what the line exactly yeah. was, but I do remember a lot of dialogue being mentioned about Lizzie being off. Well, no, she said you're weak, and then she walks away like the girl Lizzie, and her sister is like she's not weak, she's just not uh, all there in the head, like she's like basically crazy or something. And then in this episode, uh, she tells Carol, she's like, I'm not weak, you know. And then she gives this whole big speech about how it's not so bad when you come back. At least you come back to something. It's better than being dead. Like, yeah, she's clearly oh, crazy. <laughs> the, the dialogue and that. I'm not weak. Let me tell you how strong I am. Yeah, so she's... That, she's, that, she's, that feels like a thing kids would say, though. No, it feels yeah. like a thing that crazy kids would say. <laughs> <laughs> like, that girl's nuts. That girl is feeding the rats to the zombies because... She names the zombie like she gives the zombies nicknames and she talks to them like they're her best friend. She is nuts. Well, she did just, you know, watch her dad die horribly and presumably something similar happened to her mom. Yeah, but this happened before her dad died that she was already talking to the zombies and nicknaming them. Yeah, people respond to trauma in different ways. I, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. And okay. you will very likely get to say, I told you so. Okay, and well, the, I, that can be fun. I have one <laughs> question for you. Okay, so I, I I really like this episode. I'm still unclear as to whether or not you liked it, Kate. Uh, but I also want to know what you think of Tyrese in this episode. I think he's good. I like this episode. I think... Um, I think because I already was really positive on the whole season, this feels like more of the same strengths to me. So it feels like sort of, yep. And, and, and so I, I look forward to the next episode. I, I didn't um, bowl me over as much as maybe some of the previous ones uh, earlier this season did, but uh, I did think it was strong and it felt very much of a piece of what's come before and what I assume will be coming next. Um, and I like Tyrese this week too. Maybe I'm missing something totally obvious, but why is why has Tyrese gotten so reckless with his own life? Like, I understand he's upset that somebody he cared about died, but why does that make him suddenly want to be reckless with his own life? Is that I feel like that's something they're just doing for the sake of drama in these early episodes of the season that doesn't really need to be there. That ties in with his um, with this is with his episode one and two uh, issues with with violence and killing even zombies. Uh, or walkers, I should say that we you know we saw him explore that and talk about that with with Karen before she died, or was killed, I should say, and and so that ties in with this. He had to really psych himself up to be able to, to to go into fighting and survival mode, and so that has sort of ah uh, okay that makes flipped sense. a switch. Okay. 
Yeah, okay. so this, that's a continuing, and that's, an, so for me at least, Tyrese is another character who's been very closely examined and developed over the course of these four episodes. N- not even the four episodes, even dating back to the second half of season three, because he's always been somewhat of a pacifist. And, I mean, he's at, I mean, it's at the point now where his love interest, girlfriend, whatever you want to call her, was uh, murdered by Carol and burnt alive afterwards. <laughs> um, yeah, and of course Sasha is yeah. still sick. Yeah, his sister is like probably dead for all he knows because he didn't make it back in time with supplies so i think he's just like fed up giving up you know everyone he knows and loves is dead uh i really like what they are doing with his character i like what they are doing with michonne and uh, i mean daryl's still daryl he's badass i love what they're doing with tyrese <laughs> just straight head button people like a bull <laughs> yeah i do want to see more of bob stuckey um, the char- uh, character played by Lawrence gillier jr who's a brilliant actor um Herschel is still great. You know, he's still a great character. He had a beautiful speech last week, one of the highlights of last week's episode. Glenn and Maggie, I'm frustrated with. Um, you know, one thing, I'll, uh, the last thing I'm going to say is um, I remember someone wrote up an article last year about the credit sequence of season three and how it hinted to who was going to die, who was going to live, and yada, 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 right? And in this season, the credit sequence, whenever, um, st- uh, whenever uh, Stephen Young's name pops up, there's like a clock spinning, like as if his time is running out. And when Norman Reedus, when his name shows up in the credits, there's like two arrows that hit the tree. And like, so anyways, I was observing the credit sequence. And I'm like, man, I wonder if it's true. If like the credit sequence actually like hints as to who's going to live and who's going to die. Because if so, then Stephen Young is most likely not, it's not looking good for him. I would say it's not looking good for him. I think that's it's one of the would be a smart move for the show. He's kind of been a character didn't really have a lot to do left to do with his character, and it would make Maggie a lot more interesting if he's suddenly ripped away from her. We'll have to to see where where they go with that next. Uh, the only thing I'll say about about him is if you enjoy him on The Walking Dead and want to see more of his comedy roots, check out the pilot to Filthy Sexy Teens because he's hilarious on it. Ten minute. Uh, it's like a 15 minute show with commercials, 10 minutes without commercials. Check it out. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Good, um, good luck Googling that. Yeah. It's, oh, the S in teens is a dollar sign. That is very helpful in filtering <laughs> certain things out. Um, any final thoughts on this episode, Randy? No, I just think it's more of the walking dead being the walking dead. I mean, I think it's improved. It's an improved version of the show that we've seen from the last season, but I still think it's really it's really struggling to find something more than the most obvious or superficial things out of it. Like what always brings me back to this episode, I kind of, my feelings are summed up in, you know, the writing of hell written on the gas station sign, you know, whether they're walking into town, like, yeah, it's a cool image, but what are you actually doing with that? And who actually would spend the time doing that in a world like this? And it's a bit goofy. It's, it's never going to be a show that, is really rock, rocking on all cylinders at all times because it has way too many characters to be able to be that consistent narratively. But I mean, I still have, you know, I may have, I feel like I railed on the show a lot. I mean, I guess it's my first time being on here this season. I may have been waiting to do this, but I think it's a better show. And I think Indifference is a, is a decent episode. I just think it falls into the same traps the show has always fallen into. Ricky? Yeah, I kind of want to see them just take more risks, have a lot more fun with the show, um, with the series overall. I do like this episode. I think it's the best episode since possibly clear. Uh, not the most exciting episode. I mean, yeah, we don't really get the big action set pieces, but I think it's focused. I think the writing's good. I really do like the uh, interaction between Andrew Lincoln and Melissa McBride, although I do think Rick's character is still frustrating to watch. Um, but, you know, I just think back at, like, some of my favorite zombie movies or, you know, films about, like, epidemics and not and i still think there's a lot they can do and they're not really introducing it into the world of the walking dead um you know like i mean what is so wrong with them like changing their clothes like we talked about this last week <laughs> you know and we got a lot of listener feedback on that because it's true they don't change their clothes like like it seems like a small nitpick but it's not like there's so many little things they, they could do and if you do enough little things, it adds to a lot at the end of the day. So I think they need to liven up the proceedings a bit. Um, but yeah, overall, I think it's a pretty solid season. My biggest gripe so far is the two little girls, and I can't wait till she croaks dead. After we find out she's a serial killer and butt crazy, so then Kate could be like, yeah, you're right, that girl is weird. <laughs> 
Uh, I don't have anything to add, I think, to everything that's been said, though. You know, I, obviously, uh, I'm more positive on the season as a whole than uh, than maybe Randy. Well, then definitely Randy than you are, and maybe even Ricky than you are. But that, that, that I think, wraps up our thoughts on indifference. Randy, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at Process Media. You can Google Process Media and find my website, or you can read me at Silent Sight every week. And uh, and Ricky, uh, you can find my work over at Sound on Sight. I actually just posted my list of the 200 greatest horror films ever made, and I've received some pretty amazing feedback. Uh, pretty much, I guarantee you that you know half of the movies you probably haven't heard of or and or seen. Uh, so do check it out if you love horror, which I guess you do because you're listening to our podcast, and of course on Twitter at Sound on Sight. And I'm up at, on Twitter at The Televerse. Of course, I have a weekly TV podcast with my co-host Simon Howell over at Sound on Site that goes up every Tuesday night. And, uh, and we cover the rest of, of TV, as it were. And if you want to read uh, my reviews or any of my other things that are going up on Sound on Site, it is Doctor Who month right now. So if you're a Doctor Who fan, there are literally at least two articles going up every single day this month. So... Lots of Doctor Who content over at Sound on Sight. And, of course, I would love to hear from you on Twitter. Next week, we will be talking about Internment, Episode 5, written by Channing Powell, directed by David Boyd. We'll have another fabulous guest joining us for that. But for now, it's time to, I think, to sign off. Thank you, Randy, very much for coming and joining us this week. Thanks for having me, guys. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sound on Sight Walking Dead podcast. Rick, it's me. No one else has to know. I thought you were done making decisions for everyone. I'm making this decision for me. I could have pretended that everything was going to be fine. But I didn't. I did something. I stepped up. I had to do something. No, you didn't. I think I'm going anywhere without Lizzie and Mika. You want them to leave? To go out there with you? Liz Lizzie's sick. Mika is 10 years old. Please, you can't. We'll keep him safe. You're not that woman who was too scared to be alone. Not anymore. You're going to start over, find others, people who don't know. You're gonna survive out here. You will.